Welcome to the Legacy House Podcast. Our mission as a church is to equip people to know God, live free, and find purpose. We express the mission of our church through adoration, biblical teaching, creativity, and discipleship. We have prepared this message for you, and we know God is going to use it to minister to you wherever you are and in whatever situation you're going through. Hey, we're glad to have you here today, and uh, today's going to be an awesome day. Uh, I, I just, I'm excited because we're continuing. We're going now into our third week of our Woke series. How many of you have picked up a Woke devotional or you're doing it online? Raise your, yeah, okay, great. If you don't have one or you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, you can pick one up today when you leave. We as a church are doing a 31-day devotional together uh, that was written inside of our house by uh, a number of people in, inside of our body and inside of our house wrote on different topics. The first week we talked about prayer all week long. The second week we talked about fasting, which was this last week. So some of you are looking so skinny. Uh, and then, uh, then the third week, uh, we're really talking about the promises of God. And, uh, and we're going to be spending a little time talking about the promises of God as we kind of go through this upcoming week as a body in our daily devotional, but then also today in, in our message as well. And I believe really that the most important thing that we can do as believers is actually be connected and rooted in our relationship with the Lord. Uh, it's one thing to be hearers of the word, but it's another thing to be doers of the word. So it's, it's one thing to be those who sit in a seat. It's another thing to be those who take what they heard in their seat and apply it to their life. And that's really the, 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 the link in the chain, so to speak, for us uh, as believers, as a church. We're, we're excited about all the different things that are going on. There's a, tonight we have a worship night. Um, we would encourage every single one of you to come back tonight. It's at 6 o'clock. We'll be done 7.30, 8 o'clock, and we're going to take communion at our worship nights. We always take communion together uh, as a church, and so that's going to be tonight at 6. And we've got a lot of things coming up over the next few months. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to rent out all of Dreamland for all of our young adults and go roller skate. Come on in Jesus' name. Uh, so... Yeah, and the, for real, that's a that's a real thing. Uh, and so that's going to be in February, uh, and then also in February with our our kind of our city care team, uh, the thirteenth, February the thirteenth, that Monday night, we're going to be doing a Valentine's dinner uh, down where we did breakfast. Uh, so the play, the outside of loaves and fishes where we did uh, the breakfast for the homeless uh, on Christmas Eve, we're going to be doing a dinner for that same crowd uh, the night before Valentine's Day. Same sort of thing, uh, just loving on some people. So there's a lot of stuff. Say all that to say there's a lot of stuff coming up. Small groups launch on August 29th, our circles. So uh, there's already a board. If you go out here in the in the hall, there's a board of some of the circles that are already registered. We've had a couple that have told us in the last couple of days we weren't able to put their information on the board. It'll be there next week, but all that's online as well. So uh, it's going to be great. God's doing a lot of awesome things. And uh, and like I said, we're glad that you're here and you're a part of it and, and people are, are coming and their lives are getting changed. So if you got with your Bibles, go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to go spend a little time this morning, and, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to kind of really kind of uh, hopefully dive a little bit further, a little bit deeper, maybe into the idea of, of what it means to, to understand truly and fully the promises of God. Uh, the Bible says that his promises are, are yes and amen, meaning that basically in the nutshell, we can all just kind of set this foundation from the jump, which is God never backs off or, uh, or reneges, so to speak, on his promise. Um, I, my uncles love to play. There's a card game called Rook. And uh, have any of you ever heard of Rook? No? Okay, great. Uh, it's kind of like spades. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a version of spades, so to speak. Um, and so we, we'll play Rook. And my biggest issue was I just 
there's a certain point in the game that you have to play kind of like the largest, like if someone plays, uh, you know, whatever your, your rook cards are, like let's say it's black, if everybody's playing black, and if you have a black, you have to play it. Like you can't go back and save it for later in the game. Um, but I like to win, therefore I like to get creative in my strategies, which typically involve cheating, but I like to be creative in my strategies nonetheless um, to try to win. So when I was younger, I would try to hold on to, you know, a trump card in there somewhere that I could throw down later in the game, you know, still up some points. But it never worked because I, I was reneging on, on, on what the actual plan, purpose, object of the game actually was. And a lot of times in our life, we've experienced and we've dealt with broken promises. I guarantee for none of us in here today, uh, we've lived a life that has been free of broken promises. Uh, every single one of us in here have experienced some sort of disappointment, some sort of frustration, some sort of situation that we thought would be a certain way that wound up not being that way. We, we've experienced a moment where the promise that was there, for whatever reason, disappeared and vanished. You find in the word, you find that God is, he is true to his word. He's true to his promises. Whatever he says will and does come to pass. The only issue with that is, is that often it doesn't come to pass in our time and in what makes the most sense inside of our brains. Uh, we think that right now would be the best time for God to show up. Well, for God, it might be a week from now or a month from now or a year from now. And so today we wanna really dive down into the promises of God in Romans chapter eight and verse 28. You might be familiar with this verse, but I'm gonna just use this to kind of set a little bit of a foundation. And then we're gonna go to the book of Genesis. Romans chapter eight, verse 28. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together Together to the good, uh, to those that love the Lord and who are been called according to his purpose. We'll read that one more time. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. They can leave that verse on the screen for us for a second because I want us to really understand that. We know that God works everything together, everything together for our good. There's nothing inside of our life, even though it can often feel like it, there's nothing inside of our life that is outside of God's good, ne- good will and good nature for us. I, I had a, uh, a couple uh, elderly ladies come up to the door, nice, and they, and they were Jehovah's Witness. They knocked on the door, and, uh, and so I, they were nice, and I, didn't, I, I, I wasn't rude because they were old, and I was like, that's just rude. And so I got there, and um, she asked me a few questions. She said, why... She said, do you believe that God causes bad things to happen? She knows the first question was, she said, why do bad things happen? I said, well, because sin entered the world. She said, okay. And then like she, she goes to the next question, she goes to question number two. And she says, okay, she said, but good, does God cause bad things to happen to good people? And I said, no, but God allows bad things to happen to good people. She said, okay. And so she goes on down. <laughs> And she said, well, can you give me the reference for that? And I said, nope, you got me there. Uh, but, uh, and she said, well, it's Matthew. I'm like, okay, great. And, but the truth is this, is that we live in a world where often things happen around us and to us and, and, and against us. And we can live in a spot that we feel like the promise that God had given to our life has somehow vanished. Like the thing that we were like meant and made for is now gone or has disappeared or is no longer around us. But what we have to find in the scripture is we understand the fact that there is nothing that God will allow to happen to us that he has not first seen and approved to come into our life. 
Bible says that he wouldn't give us more than we could handle. Meaning that the trials, the tribulations, the heartaches, the issues that we walk through, not only is God aware of, but God is also aware of the fact that you have the ability to weather the storm. That you have the ability that no matter what comes your way, you can actually withstand the, the attack, the resistance, the force that you're coming up against. You know, a lot of you probably experienced this already this year, if you're, especially if you're doing this 31-day fast along with us. You've experienced probably uh, the resistance of the enemy. Because what begins to happen is all of a sudden in your life, you begin to allow the Lord to align some things inside of you. You begin to allow the Lord to properly bring some things into order, to get some priorities in place where now all of a sudden you're hearing clearly and directly what the Lord has and wants to say to you. We were talking to some, a group of uh, our home team came in last night and was setting up a lot of this stuff, the lobby, kids' rooms, different spaces like that, and uh, in preparation for Sunday. And we were talking to some of the guys and said, you know, there's two places uh, in the Christian world that you never want to be the last in. Uh, you never want to be the last person in the baptismal tank, and you never want to be—you never want to be the last person in the end of like kind of a, a prophetic prayer service, uh, because the last guy in the line always gets the—you know—he always gets the the uh, like if you're if you've ever been in a prayer service before, maybe and and they're praying for different people, and there's powerful prayers happening, and they're calling out like awesome things, and there's I see you know the spirit of Billy Sunday, like all these like powerful cool things. And seriously, I was an intern, and they had this guy came. I don't even remember his name. I'm sure he was a great guy, man of God. I, I don't doubt any of that. But uh, he prayed for everybody, and I happened to be the last guy in the line. Uh, and I realized that he was starting to get tired. Uh, what once was like, I see like the spirit of Smith Wigglesworth on you was somewhere down to like, I see James Dobson on you. And then it was just kind of, it was slowly, it was a slowly progression, you know, whatever. And people might not even know who I'm talking about. Uh, but we get all the way down to me, right? I'm on the end. I've been standing up for about, you know, hour and a half waiting, you know, for this moment with this guy to pray over us. It was our last day of our internship. Here I've been studying a full year, you know, to, to, to be prepared and equipped for ministry. And he gets down to me and he looks at me and he says, he says, what do you like to do? And I said, well, that's your job to tell me. No, I was like, uh, but I was like, I was like, what do you mean? I, I, he said, do you, do you play any sports? And I was like, okay, this is going to be good. And I was like, uh, no, I said, I don't. And he said, mm. and I said, I mean, I played baseball in high school. And he said, that's not it. And I was like, okay. Um, and, uh, I said, well, I said, like, occasionally, rarely, I'll, I'll go play golf. And he's like, that's it. And, and I was like, what do you mean that's it? Do you know what I mean? Like, this can't be real right now. And he's like, he's like, that's it. And I was like, okay. And uh, you ever had somebody pray for you, and, and, and you're just not connecting with it, and you go from having your eyes shut and really focused on the Lord to where the next thing you know, you're staring at them face to face, just looking. At, you're like 18 inches away from them thinking, what are you talking about? And so here I am, like, I'm praying, ready to receive. He starts talking about golf, says that that's it, and then goes off for about 10 minutes giving me this prophetic word about golf, and I'm going to play golf and all this kind of stuff. And I walked away, and my friends are crying, you know what I mean? Like, they've been impacted by the Lord. And I'm like, I don't know who that joker is. Like, like, I, like I was like, ah, not feeling it. Uh, like, and I, I, it was funny because, you know, here they are, like, last day. They're all, all up in their feelings, just really just, oh, just, man, isn't God good? And I'm like, there's no way. I was like, Lord, if, 
Everything in my life is confusing right now if you actually want me to go play professional golf. Lord, <laughs> what does this mean? Like, I was so, oh my gosh. I was literally, I was so frustrated because I was like, what is happening right now? And so I get this prophetic word about golf and you never want to be the last person in the prayer line uh, because the prayer is like, someone else has made reference to sometime, one time, same sort of thing was happening for them. Someone was praying, giving all these like powerful words, and they got to them and they said, Jeremiah 29, 11. It just kept on going. Like, like, it's kind of that thing. When you're the guy at the end, like it's, you know, it's Jesus wept, and they just kept on, keep on moving. It's the same thing with a baptismal. Like, you don't ever want to be the last guy in the baptismal. What goes from being like pure water uh, turns to a murky soup. Like we, we worked at some churches where on certain Sundays we would baptize 100, 200 people on a Sunday. You know, Person one through 50, the water's pretty clear. Uh, 50 to about 150, uh, there's starting to be things floating in the water. By 150 to 200, you can't see your feet anymore in the water. Like, I mean, it's bad stuff. Baptize this lady this one time, true story. She's listening to the podcast. I love you. Uh, like, we baptized this lady this one time. She came up and her wig came completely off. True story, folks. I'm not lying to you. Church stories are the best stories. I baptized this lady. Her wig came off. She's shouting, loving, the, like she's so excited. She just grabs her wig, keeps on going, doesn't miss a beat. I was like, ah, okay, all right. Like, you know what I mean? Like we have that moment where you're terrified, like you've just revealed the one thing no one knows about her. Uh, but then she's excited, so you're excited. And anyways, it's just crazy. But what happens is that when we begin to allow our life to be aligned by the Lord, he begins to prioritize our life. And what we, want, what we then begin to realize is we haven't been called to be the tail of this, but we've really been called to be the head of this. We haven't been the one who should be just sitting on our, like, our haunches, so to speak, just kind of trying to fend off and guard off the enemy. But really, we've been called to be those, like we said a couple of weeks ago, the Bible says the kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. You are the violent, like in that verse. It says, the kingdom of God suffereth violence, but the violent take it by force. Not the passive, not the weak, not the apathetic, but the violent take it by force. And I believe that the reason that verse is so true in our life is because of the promises of God. Go with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're really going to kind of dive in this morning and give you a few things. Really, when we talk about the promise of God, what we're really saying there is the plan of God. When you hear the promise of God referred to in the word over and over again about the promises and the promises and promises, you know, the promises of God are mentioned or God's promises are mentioned about 3,500 uh, times in the word. I think that the, the real number is 3,572 times in the word does it talk about promises. And really what it's talking about there is not just a promise, like a, a verbal promise from me to you, but it's really talking about the plan of God. The promises of God are the plan of God. So when we begin to dive down into what are God's promises in my life, it's not just the things that he guaranteed to give me. It's really who he has called all of us to be. It's not a, it's the promises of God are not a welfare system. Uh, it's the things that we deserve because of our status. But really the promises of God are the things that he's leading us and pulling us towards so that we can become everything that God has called us to be. There's two primary functions, I really believe, of the promises of God. And I want to give these to you and you can write these down. The first primary goal of the, promise, of the promises of God is to demonstrate God's glory. To demonstrate God's glory. 
So why does God give his promises to us? It's so that his glory can be demonstrated. It's so that he can be shown as the one true living God. It's not so that we can be elevated. It's not so that we can just be blessed. It's not so that we can have a bigger home or a bigger income uh, or, or more happiness, but it's first and foremost so that God can receive the glory. So that people can see him working, interacting, like intervening in our lives. And all of a sudden they have to say, because they know you, that had to be God. I want God to move in my life in such a way that the people who know me know that me in my own self and flesh could not have done that on my own. I want to be comfortable with the fact that people know where my shortcoming is so that when they see me operating, living and moving, they know that I'm not moving from my strength, but the strength of God moving through me. The secondary purpose of the, uh, of the promise of the plan of God is to accomplish the good for those that he loves. The Romans 8, 28. He's going to work everything together to, to according to his purpose and plan for those that he loves. He's going to bring good things into the life, those that he loves. So the secondary, so the first purpose is to bring glory to God. The secondary purpose is to bring good things into our life. We, we said it a lot, and I really think it's almost kind of, it feels like almost a theme for the beginning of this year is that God hasn't called us to rest from ministry, but he's called us to rest for ministry. We've said it a lot, literally, I think I've said it every single week, and it's so true because a lot of Christians get fooled and tricked into this idea of rest. I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm weary. The Bible says that as we spend time with him, that he restores and renews our strength and our joy. That as we're walking in his purpose and plan for our life, then it's then in those moments that our hope and our strength is restored. So Genesis chapter 12, let me read verses one. I'm gonna read all the way down through verse seven for you. And uh, we're gonna take a little bit of a look here at the life of Abraham. Then it says, then the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make you famous. You will, you will be a blessing to others and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All your families on the earth will be blessed. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haram. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all of his wealth, his livestock and all the people he had taken from the household of Haran and he headed to the land of Canaan. When he arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem, and he set up a camp beside the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the area wasn't inhabited by the Canaanites. Verse 7, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said, I will give this land to you and your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Can we just pray this morning? Father, we thank you today. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's living and it's breathing and it's live and it's, it's relevant to our hearts and lives today. So, Lord, we just pray, God, that today, God, you would speak something to us. God, I pray that we would understand your promises better for our life. Father, we love you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the honor. In Jesus' name, pray, amen. A lot of us are familiar with Abraham. Abraham was a, a, a really a father of the faith. He was a pillar of the Old Testament. He was a man who stepped out boldly and saw God move in might and in power. But what we find with Abraham's life is, is some very small details that are kind of hidden here in Genesis chapter 12 that I believe really are important for us because I believe that God inside of all of us today has a land that he wants to lead us to. 
Just like the, the children of Israel in the Old Testament, their, their journey was leading them to the promised land, the land of Canaan that it talks about here in verse 12 or chapter 12. And I believe that inside of all of us, we have a promised land. We have an area that God is leading us to. Really what that is, is it's the destiny. It's the purpose. It's the promise that God has placed inside of you. The area that he wants to lead you into. The, the place that was set apart and dedicated just for you. But what happens in the midst of our journey is what happens so often. Happened with the children of Israel. Happened with Abraham and, and his life and his family. And what happens is there's a disconnect between the promise being received and the promise being fulfilled. There's a disconnect somewhere between receiving and hearing what God is saying and actually having the fulfillment of what God said. How many of you, and this is a rhetorical question, but how many of you have heard God say things or you felt God say things or you've been passionate about a dream, a desire that God has placed in your heart, but for whatever reason, that thing has not come to pass? For whatever reason, you can look up in your life, you can check around and you say, this was a promise from God but yet I've never seen the fulfillment of that promise. Maybe it's through a relationship, maybe through a job, maybe whatever it might have been. And here's Abraham. And the Lord comes to Abraham and he, he speaks very swiftly and clearly to Abraham. And what set Abraham apart was something that sets all of our lives apart, which was not Abraham's perfection, but Abraham's willingness to respond to what God was saying to him. Can I ask you this today? How willing are you to respond to what God is saying to you? Not how willing are you to respond to what the person next to you is saying to you. Not how willing are you to respond to what your husband or your wife or your kids or your boss, but how willing are you to respond to what God is saying to you? The Lord comes to Abraham. Look in verse one again, I'm gonna read to you. It says, then the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. That's an easy verse to just breeze through and think, okay, amen, here goes Abraham. But listen to what the Lord told Abraham to do. He said to leave your native land, to leave your relatives, and to, re to leave your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. Here's what you have to understand is that the Lord asked Abraham to begin to move before he really gave Abraham clear direction for where he was going. He didn't say, hey, look, I'm calling you to the promised land and we're going to go here and we're going to go here and we're going to go here. And at this stop, you'll see this. And at this place, you'll experience this. No, he just says, I need you to go and I need you to leave behind the things that matter the most to you. It's impressive. Because we can read through that. It's like, it's kind of like a flyover verse that it's the beginning of the chapter. You're like, okay, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your name. Okay, great, great, great. And goes on. And a lot of us love to jump down to that verse in verse three where it says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. You're like, oh, amen to that. I will receive that promise. God is gonna bless me. He's gonna bless those who bless me and whoever I curse, he'll curse. Like we love that verse. We love the verse where it says, in your Bible, it might say, uh, where it says that he says he will make your name great. Like, we, we want that promise. We want God to make my name great. But do we want to do what he asks Abraham to do in verse 1? Where he says, look, you got to leave your native land, you got to leave your relatives, and you got to leave your family. Then, once you do those things, I will lead you to a place that I'm not telling you where it is, but as you go, it will be revealed to you. I want to have something inside of my heart and life that begins to say, God, as I go, I believe you will reveal it to me. Not something that I like, I, I, I'm not, um, how do you say it? Uh, a planner. <laughs> I, I'm not naturally 
I'm not naturally a planner, um, but I do like to know where God is leading. And I, I believe that all of us naturally, whether you're a planner or not, whether you're organized or not, whether you're administrative or not, we all like to kind of naturally know where God is leading us. And Abraham was challenged with this moment because God clearly speaks these three things to him. And he begins to ask him to do some things that I think he's asking all of us to do. Asking, he, I, I believe the very three things that God asked of Abraham to leave, he's asking us to leave them as well. And I'm gonna give you these three things kind of broken down really as I see them. The first thing here, he says to leave your native country. So really the first thing that he asked Abraham to leave is he asked him to leave where he was settled, where he was settled. Let me ask you this, where are you settled? Where have you settled in your life? Where is it just fine? This is fine. My health is fine. My relationships are fine. My attitude's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not the most loving person ever, but you know, it's fine. Where have we settled? Because here's the interesting thing. I thought about, as the Lord led me to this verse and began to preach about the life of Abraham, honestly, I'll just be completely transparent with you. I didn't really want to preach about the life of Abraham because I feel like often when you talk about the promises of God, you talk about Abraham, where Abraham was called out from his tent and look up at the stars and you count the stars and, and Abraham, the Lord told Abraham, your descendants will be as, as numerous as the stars in the sky. We often hear about Abraham being kind of a focal point of God's promise. But I really believe that Abraham was used as the focal point of God's promise, not just because he was so chosen by God, but because of what happened before Abraham. Did you ever realize you don't hear a lot about Abraham's family? You ever think about the fact that you never hear really much about Abraham's dad? Look in verse 11, or, uh, chapter 12. We're reading verse 31. Sorry, verse 11, sorry, chapter 11, verse 31. I'll get it right. My mouth will catch up with my brain in a minute. Verse 31, it says, One day, Terah took his son Abraham and his daughter-in-law Sarai and his grandson Lot, and they moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He had headed for the land of Canaan, but he had stopped at Haran, and he had settled there. Let's just, they're going to leave that, that verse for you on the screen. It says, He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran, and settled there. This is Abraham's father. He, he was headed, don't get it mistaken, he, he wasn't headed for Haran. He, he was headed for Canaan. God didn't call him to Haran. God didn't call him to say, you know what? I've, I've, I've put a place in front of you. The purpose, the divine nature of God is out there and, and that place is Haran. No, he had called him to Canaan. But it says basically that as he was going down the road, as he was on his journey, as he had headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived there for 205 years and died while still in Haran. That's an impressive verse. And it's impressive for the fact that maybe what God did through Abraham was something really that he had desired to do through Abraham's father. Maybe, maybe just maybe, the reason that Abraham was chosen to be used by God in such a miraculous and powerful way is not because 
It's not because of the fact that he was uh, uh, some supernatural, uh, spiritual man of God, but maybe because the questions that he had asked of Abraham's father that he was unwilling to answer, Abraham was willing to answer. So maybe the areas where his father was willing to settle, Abraham said, I refuse to settle there. His father had been called to Canaan just like Abram had been called to Canaan. But what separated them is that somewhere along the line, he settled. Somewhere along the line, here was good enough. This was fine. It's fine. And often when people settle, they don't want to, be taught, they don't want to talk about the area that they've settled. They get really defensive of that area. Because we know, I guarantee you, Abraham's father knew that he had been called to Canaan. And often, I believe probably the reason, this is obviously my complete speculation of the scripture, okay? So just go with me on this. But I believe that there's a very strong possibility. The reason Abraham's father stayed in Haran until he died is because of pride. I would rather stay and die here than have to admit that I was wrong. Me and Bethany were talking about this last night in ministry is that there was a, the album called uh, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. And, uh, and so it's great. Uh, and, uh, and it's a solid album. Uh, but it's funny because I thought we were talking about it last night and I said often in Christianity, there's a miseducation. There's a miseducation of Christianity. The whole album was kind of basically like it was, you know, Lauryn Hill's kind of like, you know, uh, uh, self-discovery, so to speak. And, and in our lives as believers and as Christians, we can often be taught things that aren't actually Scripture. They're just principle or church method rather than actually being Scripture. And what happens is we find ourselves in a spot to where we're believing something that's not actually biblical truth or principle. And we wind up settling because of this pride inside of our own lives, the pride inside of my own life. There's been times that I've been willing to... to unwilling to budge from the thing of the place that I was at. Because if I move, then I'm admitting that I was wrong. If I change now, then what was it worth everything that I did? The Lord spoke to Abraham and he said, look, he said, you've got to leave your native land. He was calling him to leave where he was to go to the place that God really had for him. Is it possible that where you are in your life is not actually the place that God has for you? It's just the place that you've made home. You stay anywhere long enough and it can become home. You stay stuck in any mindset long enough and it, it, it can become normal. You stay stuck in any attitude long enough and it can be justified. He told Abraham, he said, look, you can't settle in this land. Whatever you do, you can't settle in this land. Really what he was calling Abraham to was he was calling Abraham to what he had called his father to. But his father at some point along the line had settled. The second thing that you see there is where he says he called him to leave his relatives. He challenged Abraham here. The first thing was where he had settled. And the second thing was really who he was surrounded with. He challenged Abraham here to examine his surroundings. Obviously in the Old Testament and really in the New Testament as well, but typically in Jewish culture, there was a very tribal mentality. And the different tribes of, of the children of Israel, they, they really kind of uh, set the tone, so to speak, for families. They, they were kind of your heritage, your lineage, your genealogy was found from your tribe. 
and, and really, uh, uh, Abraham came from the line of Seth, and so which was Noah's son, and, and he, he came from the line of Seth, and really what the Lord was calling him to was, he said, hey, look, I, I'm going to separate you from that tribe, and I'm now going to cause you to create your own tribe. I'm going to remove you from where you are so that you can actually become all that God has called you to be. I truly, truly believe today that most people are held back from becoming what God has called them to be, not because of just their own selfishness or their sin or their insecurity or their pride or whatever. It's because of who we're surrounded by. It's because of who we allow to speak into our life. It's because of the voices, the pattern, the relationships that we've opened the door to and we've given access to speak to interact, to give counsel into our hearts and to our lives. The interesting thing about this is that God began to help Abraham understand that Abraham's security wasn't coming from those he was surrounded with. Abraham's security was going to come from the seed that was inside of him. His security wasn't found in who he was surrounded by, the relationships that he had, how close he could be to anyone of influence. His, his security, his his Heritage came from the seed inside of him. Look, God has put something on the inside of you. He wants to grow. He wants to develop. He wants it to be birthed in your life so that it can actually take root and purpose. You ever get to the point where you realize you're allowing so much noise into your life that you're only doing it so that you don't have to look at the real issue. Our world is surrounded by that. It's easy. It's easy to stay stuck on your phone. It's easy to get enveloped in, in social media, to watch TV, to do whatever your thing is that distracts you from the real you. I believe God is calling us to, to really to step out. To be willing to say, you know what, God, I, I, I'm not going to allow my surroundings to dictate who I become. I see a lot of professional athletes, and sometimes people will, will give them a pass because of the surroundings in which they grew up in as justification for their actions and who they are. You might have grown up in a Christian home, or you might have grown up in the furthest thing from a Christian home. But it doesn't matter. Because the seed that God has placed inside of you is not dictated by your surroundings. It's dictated by your response and your obedience. Abraham, surprisingly, had come from a long line of settlers. We did a series earlier this year, or in 2016, called Settlers. We talked about settling, just settling. Abraham came from a long line of settlers. And even though he could have looked at his family and he could have looked at his surroundings and he could have looked at his tribe and said, this is just what we do. It's who we are. You know, we just, we, we, we come late, we leave early. It's just what we do. We're okay with who we are. We're okay with where we are. It's just, it's just us. It's just the way we've always been. It's just my personality. And the Lord began to redeem some things inside of him and begin to speak to the seed inside of him and say, no, that's not really who I've called you to be. Don't allow your life to be dictated by your personality. Well, I'm just not a people person. Well, you don't have to be, you don't have to be Mr. Extrovert to love people. I'm, you ever take one of those personalities tests that talks about introverts and extroverts? You know, there's the, it's called the Myers-Briggs test, and I'm, a, I'm an ENFP. 
uh, which sounds bad. Sounds like you need like an altar call. Uh, but uh, I'm, a, I'm an ENFP, and, and the E stands for extrovert, and they rate your extrovertedness, and they rate how extroverted you really are. My E is 100%. Like, like the fuel of life for me is just being close to people. And like, and my love language, which this one always sounds super creepy, is physical touch. So like, it's the, like anybody who says their love language is physical touch, like, I don't know about you. Uh, but uh, like for me, it's like if, some, if I'm in a crowd of people and someone puts their hand on my shoulder, like Zoe life comes from, I'm like, I'm like, we can do anything together. We can, we can change the world uh, today. And what happens is we kind of, we can be dictated by our surroundings. When we're dictated by our surroundings, we can be dictated by our, our personality. And I, I love people, so if I'm around a lot of people, it would be easy for me to be excited and happy and full of life and full of faith and full of hope. But if I'm around no one and it's raining outside, it's easy for me to question if God even still exists. And to wonder, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? That's the truth. Why? Because that's my personality. But that's not who God has created me to be. That's what my circumstances and my surrounding and my upbringing and my life and my experiences, my flesh has created inside of me. And God knew that if Abraham was ever going to do what God knew Abraham could do, it was going to require him to change his surroundings. To be able to take a hard look at who was around him and say, you know what, these are great people. I love these people. I love my tribe, but I'm not going to be dictated by this crowd. If they're with me, I'm not going to think we can do it. And if I'm alone, I'm not going to think that I have failed. I'm going to believe that the seed that is inside of me is going to come to pass. You understand that there was 25 years between this point, says that Abraham was 75. There was 25 years between this point and the point that the Lord came back to Abraham and said, you're going to bear a son. And he says, look, we're 100 years old. He said, I'm old. My wife's old. How are we going to do this? No. There was a season for him. Noah built the ark, a lot of people believe, for about 108 years. What have I been faithful with that even slightly compares to that? What have I been faithful with that the Lord has placed in my hand that when I haven't seen the immediate fruit and I haven't seen the immediate result, I've been willing to remain and to stay steadfast, to not listen to what's happening around me, to not listen to the negativity of those being spoken around me and to actually believe that if God said it would come to pass, then it would come to pass. We have to understand that the promise is more than just a promise. It is the actual plan of God for your life. It isn't just a couple good things that God wants to bless you with. It's not like God is throwing you a $15 Starbucks gift card and says, go get yourself something nice. No, it's because he simply believes and knows that this is who you have been destined and called to be. If Abraham was ever going to do it, he had to be willing to address his surroundings. And then the third and the final thing that you see that he begins to speak to Abraham about is he begins to speak to Abraham about his own family. It's easy for God to speak about these people. It's much more difficult when God begins to speak about these people. And really what he began to speak to Abraham there was, is he began to speak to him on the most intimate, personal level of all time. So the same way where Jesus says in the book of Matthew, when they're walking along and he's going with his disciples and all of a sudden someone shouts out and says, hey, well, I'd love to be one of your followers. And Jesus shouts back and he says, you know, foxes have no den. Uh, and he's like, I don't know what that means. Like, you know, like, but Jesus basically, like, the guy's like, hey, I want to follow you. I'll go wherever you go. And the guy's like, you don't really know what you're asking for. 
Jesus kind of hollers back to him and says, look, that sounds great in this moment. But are you really willing to follow through in the next? Like it sounds great right here when the lights are right and the communion's about to happen and my favorite worship song was just being sung and I got one single like Holy Spirit tear trickling down my face. I'm feeling this thing. It's great to believe God is moving then, but can we believe God is moving tomorrow? It's easy to feel God in this moment and in this environment because it's right. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, this is right. When I imagine God moving, I imagine God moving like this. I imagine an acoustic guitar. I imagine guys with big beards. Like, I imagine that. It's biblical. It's Old Testament even. I imagine this. But do you imagine the fact that God can speak at your cubicle? Do you imagine that God can speak in the middle of that conference room? Do you imagine that God can speak in that supply closet? Because here's the crazy thing is that God moves just as mightily in unholy places as he does in holy. Show me a place in the New Testament where Jesus set up shop and said, come and see. He didn't. He said, go and tell. There was a lot of synagogues at Jesus' disposal where he could have set up shop. He could have thrown Jesus' ministry worldwide, Eagle International on the front of it. And he could have had, you know, a big golden globe spinning behind him and an eagle screech every time he walked out on stage. Like, he could have done those things. It could have been really powerful, right? Like, he could have come out and, you know, with a shofar and like a whole crowd of shofars. Like, you know, and like he could have done the whole thing, right? He could have had tambourines and flags and prayer banners and he could have had the whole thing. Jesus' ministry often looked like a man standing on the side of the hill feeding those who were hungry. A man coming from the bottom of the boat because the seas were getting rough. A man cooking breakfast on the seashore for the one who had just betrayed him. A man who was quiet in the face of his accusers. A man who was willing to sacrifice his own life even for those who would never accept the gift of salvation from him. He never set up shop in a location and said, hey, come see what I do. Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Now, he said, where's the need? I love the fact because Jesus said, Jesus talked repeatedly to his disciples even close to the time of his crucifixion. He said, look, I, I don't have a mother. I, I don't. I don't have a father. What he said was is the principle of Abraham in the Old Testament, which is the fact that the only thing that matters in my life, more than anything else, the trump card to all of this is the purpose and the plan of God. It's who and what he is calling me to be. Chapter 12, and I'm closing with this. The band can come back, but, you know, Verse four, it says, so Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran and he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all of his wealth, his livestock, his children, and he headed for the land of Canaan. It says, when he had arrived in Canaan, Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem and he set up his camp beside the Okamore. And at that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and he said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and he dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abraham traveled south. I, I love this. 
I love the fact that Abraham gets to the promised land, the place that God has for him. The Lord lifts up his eyes and he says, hey man, one day, this is gonna be your descendants. One day, your family is gonna inhabit this land. This is the Canaanites lived in that land. You know who the Canaanites were? The Canaanites were the exact same people who they experienced years later. The ones when they came back and said, there's giants in the land. They were there then, and they were there now. What I can promise you today is there's, there's always gonna be giants that you can see in your life that have very good purpose and reason for you to not fulfill the thing that God has called you to. There's always giants in the land. There's always giants in the place that we think, you know what, uh, I would go there, God, but, you know, once you handle the Canaanites, they didn't, then I'll enter in. But Abraham, he settled. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I'll give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar and he dedicated it before the Lord. And then it says he continued to travel south. Why? Because even in the like promised land, he didn't settle. Even in the place where everything looked good and right and was comfortable and was his future land, he didn't settle. Even in the place where he could have set up shop and said, this is my land. He continued to follow the direction and the leading of the Lord. I believe truly for us today, in all of our lives, what sets Legacy House apart as a church is not our building, it's not the stuff that we have, but it's the people who call it home. It's that because we are dedicated to this fact and this fact alone, is that we will be people who actually fulfill what God has called us to in his word. That we're not gonna just sit back and settle into our comfort religious routine, but we're really going to be people who are actually active in the life that God has called us to. That we can actually live a life that says, God, I believe, I believe that you're leading me from beyond this place just to receive words and to get spiritually, we said, talked about it last week, but we can get spiritually obese where we've received and received and received and received and received and received and received. And all it makes us is judgmental and bitter. All it makes us is a good critic of churches. Well, I've been around a lot of churches. Yeah, you may have been around a lot of churches, but how many churches have you served heart and soul with? Because it's easy to have an opinion until you found yourself dirty with your hands in the field saying, God, I, I'm making a difference here. I hope that for all of us, we can be people who won't allow ourselves to settle. We won't be distracted by our surroundings. And really that third thing, which is will allow the Lord to speak to the sonship inside of us. He's called you a son. He's called you a daughter. My girls, when they get old enough to walk, they're never gonna to have to come into my house and wonder if they're allowed to be there because they know that they're my daughter. I had a pastor one time and there was this meeting that I didn't know, I didn't know if I was allowed to be in it or not. And he said, look, he said, he said, walk in here like you're a son. And for me, it made sense because I was like, yeah, well, I'm a son. 
I was used to that concept. My dad was a pastor. I understood what it meant to walk in. You felt comfortable at home in the house of the Lord because you're a son. We are all sons and daughters of the Most High God. And the Lord had to speak to, to Abraham's sonship. He said, your true father is not your earthly father. True father is your heavenly father. Some of you might have grown up or experienced some very negative home environments. You might have never known or actually experienced the true love of a father. Really because what you find in the love of a father is a, is a man that will remain. That when it hits the fan, they remain. That when times are good, they remain. When times are bad, they remain. Jesus was telling Abraham here, even though Abraham probably didn't even realize it. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, you are my son. God wants to begin to speak to the sonship on the inside of us. He, he wants to begin to speak to the relationship on the inside of us, the DNA that he's created in us so that we can fulfill the promise, which is really the plan that God has for our life. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. You can find more info and resources from Legacy House on our website, www.legacyhouse.life or by following us on social media under the handle at LegacyHouseFL. Don't miss next week's podcast, From Our House to Yours.